Hello everyone and welcome back to The Geek Wave. This is the low budget show. It's the show so low it has no budget because we're starting off as just like, you know, an animated cartoon that just appears on another person's show and then like suddenly becomes very successful and we break out to our own spin-off that becomes more popular than the original show we're from and we run ourselves 36 years later and half the world's telling us stop but we did that we made that happen and we're still making it happen and we're all happy for it it's the Matt Groening episode <laughs> I say that like it's what I've been talking about for a while it's one I always wanted to do. When, when I first came up with the idea of this show, one of the things I wanted to do was just like talk about these guys who have just made their career kind of in like one area and haven't really like felt the need to branch out. Years ago, when we first started this show, I talked about Seth MacFarlane because he, he is so fascinating and his career is so interesting where he's a guy that worked on Hanna-Barbera stuff, worked on Cartoon Network stuff, got to make his sitcom for Fox. It was semi-successful. He got to do different versions of that show, and he used his cachet to make his, I guess, like the ultimate project he wanted to do, which was like two movies that were fine, and then his Star Trek. And that's what he did. And Matt Groening, kind of in the same boat. Like, there's less to talk about, but it's still very fun. But because there is less to talk about, we are going to add on the 11th season, if you want to call it the 11th season, whatever, the newest releases of Futurama. We'll talk about the new season because it's kind of fun to talk about. And we actually do have a couple pieces of news to talk about, too, before we get into everything. And that's kind of exciting. The first piece of news we have to talk about is very important. It's, it's actually... Really exciting, like it's happened. After 146 days, the writer's strike, the WGA, have made a tentative deal with a lot of the major producers, and it looks like the strike will be ending very soon, and a good deal for everybody has been reached. That's really exciting. You know, like, I'm amazed it's this short, because it, it there was a moment there where it felt like the studios were going to be like, screw it, we'll go forever. I do think, like... The straw that kind of broke the camel's back was Drew Barrymore. I feel like her whole experience, and I guess to some extent, like the other, who's the other one, real talk, real time, or like real talk with like Bill Maher or something. I feel like those were the things where suddenly it's like, oh no, nobody's actually in support of us doing this. We have to get these people back. This really felt like nobody was supporting the producers which is the right choice to make you shouldn't support the producer you never should what have they done for us lately you know but it's great like this is a good step forward if, if like an actual great deal was made that's really cool to see it inspires hope to a lot of creatives trying to break into the industry that you will be looked after if that is short term or long term who's to say but the fact that like the voting committee was satisfied of what they were able to do that's pretty cool you know, and I don't imagine it's going to be far behind until SAG after it does the same thing. It definitely feels like they're they're next on the list, and that's great. I think what this strike has really shown is like the support of the creatives in this industry, with people wanting to help each other, with people interested in supporting each other, and and that's a really cool and really fun thing to see from this industry. That's been very cool. 
and IATSE, I think, is just like they're going to have like some new standards coming forward. And a lot of the VFX artists are getting like, you know, unionized. So things are coming to a new important era. And at the same time, too, these, you know, streaming services are kind of going back to this cable format. So, I mean, I don't want to jinx anything or say more than I need to. But if all of the creatives are getting better deals and people have job security, whether or not overworked or overpushed to get things done properly, I would say if in the next couple of years we're looking at the the next new like golden age of, you know, entertainment, that could be really exciting. Not content. It's not content. No matter what Variety wants to put in their articles, it's not content. It's entertainment. It's movies. It's television. It's great. It's pretty cool. That's exciting. And not a moment later than that the writer strike was announced to be reaching its conclusion, did the news break that The Office will be rebooted. <laughs> um, look, here's the thing. I love this news. I think it's so fun. Because <laughs> you really, it's, it's one of the most clear examples of missing the point of what you're doing. The Office is still so successful. Everyone still loves that show. I am fine with it. You know, that it exists is fine. It's kind of cool. But yeah, of course you're going to reboot it. You know, like, why wouldn't you? It's a great idea. The fact they haven't tried it with like friends yet is insane. Like we've been doing a lot of those classic sitcoms again. The Frasier like sequel comes out in like two weeks. Like this is a thing that is going to be happening all the time still. So it's kind of cool that like Greg Downs was like, yeah, I guess we could do it again. He's still producing and I don't know if it was show running, but he's like still attached. So it could be kind of like because you know, they haven't confirmed anything. It could be one of three things. Number one, a sequel where we get the original cast back. I doubt that. I feel like they all moved on from that, except for the ones that have their career solely to that. Number two, it takes place in the same universe, but it's an entirely new cast of characters working at Dunder Mifflin in the present day. Or three, a fresh reboot of new actors playing the characters that we know. Which one do I want to see, you might be asking? I want to see the one where we reboot it and it's new characters. No, not new characters. It's new actors with the same characters. Give me a new guy doing his Michael Scott, or maybe it's like Michelle Scott or something like that. I want to see that because that's worse somehow. And I just appreciate that so much. I think the point of something like having a successful like 10 year on streaming should be the fact that we don't have to reboot it, you know? strange <laughs> i do love it though like i've always been under the impression and i will stand by this forever in terms of just like remaking and, and trying these things again it's either everything is sacred or nothing is sacred so if there's one thing we can't reboot then we shouldn't reboot anything everything should be allowed to be redone rehashed retried all the time i don't care i think you should i'm one of the few guys that says you should try another back to the future I'm always excited when they're like, we're going to try a RoboCop again. You should try these things. They're not always going to work, and more often than not, they don't. But hell, if you want to try it, do it. You know, we had How I Met Your Father, a show nobody watched or liked, but they made it. And that's kind of cool, right? Or is it? I don't know. So doing The Office again, you know, you could have your favorites come back. What's Rain Wilson doing? 
he's on podcasts talking about like it's crazy to think your life's supposed to be somewhere when it's not like i don't know what he's doing what are any of them doing what is john krasinski doing he directed a movie with steve carell if i think is what it's called and that's not out yet so he's free because that's probably done because he's not directing the last, not the last of us. What's the one he did? Uh, a Quiet Place. He's not directing the next one. So what's he doing? Nothing. And Jenna Fisher, she has the podcast about The Office with Angela. So none of them are like really busy, which I guess is like you don't need to because you were in The Office. I don't know. But I don't want to see it, but I'd say do it. I say do it until we're all dead. Remake The Office. Make this one of those shows that we just keep coming back to. A great idea. Or like today's people you could put in it, you know? Who would you want to see? In, like, if you want I don't know, is, could Theo Vaughn be Dwight? That kind of thing? Maybe. I don't want to see it, but I'm glad it's happening. It's cool. Let's do Friends next. Let's get, let's do Friends with an entirely new cast, but they play like Ross and Chandler and Joey and Phoebe and Monica. <laughs> What's the other one? Rachel. Yeah. That could be cool. I don't know. Who's the, the modern day Aniston? Do we have a modern day Aniston? I'm trying to... Who would it be? Like somebody that was in television and then kind of became a movie star. Do we have an equivalent for Aniston today? I guess maybe Maya Hawk, but she wasn't really in, like, television. Well, I guess she was on that show, Stranger Things. Maybe her. I don't know. It's hard to get these equivalents. I don't even think we have, like, a modern-day Matt LeBlanc, which you think we would. Or is it, like, no, it's going to be, like, is it Jacob Elordi? It's probably not. It's probably some Curtis Connor. I don't know. Is that a guy that does stuff? I heard the name. Don't know anything about him. Let's stop talking about this. Let's get to another piece of news before we jump into the world of Matt Groening. This is kind of interesting. The people at Adult Swim have released the first trailer with the new voices for Rick and Morty. So we are able to hear the new voice of two iconic characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love this because they sound the same. Slight differences, of course, is because you're not hearing like a specific person do the voice, but come on, it's not that hard. And I hear, I've been seeing a lot of people talking online about like, they sound good, they sound fine, you can notice some differences, but that's not a big deal, and it should be telling that it's so easy to replicate like the voices of Justin Roiland, that's people taking cheap shots at him, and I get it, like, this is easier to do than what you would be expecting, so I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Overall, this new season's going to be very interesting. This new season's going to be very interesting to see how many people are interested in what it could present. If Justin Roiland was like one of the things that kept people watching, or if it's actually just like the universe itself. Very fascinating. I don't know how it's going to go. I hope it's good. I haven't liked a lot of Rick and Morty. You know, I, I think now they've kind of reached this point where there's less like very good episodes than there are like good ones. You, you, you know, you know it, they just they've missed the mark a lot more than I think they've nailed it. But that's fine. 
they still do decent numbers. You still got a dedicated fan base. I just can't imagine like the merchandise is like, you know, flying off the shelves like it used to. But that's the case for everything, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy to think that. I was this is unrelated, but I was thinking about this the other day cuz I saw like a tweet about it where it's like we're see, we're witnessing the first generation of like children to grow up without like reruns of cartoons on like television stations like now they have YouTube and Twitch and just like streaming services so there's no reruns you can just like watch all of one show in a row you can just finish Bluey in an afternoon you know and I think that's very fascinating just to like that I I can't confirm it but I do think something like that does like have an effect on like the merchandise industry where you know kids might not be seeing these older things and they're just focused on like a very specific thing as opposed to like this bras this broad spectrum of stuff i don't know me i just bought some new fraggle toys so i'm fine <laughs> uh, let's take a break you know we don't need to talk about rick and morty anymore or dwell on the past we're gonna take a break and when we come back we're gonna talk uh the man the myth the legend himself So let me just crack open my huge Wikipedia book here and flip to the page that says Matt Groening. Is that how you say his name? That's how I'm seeing it on here. Matt Groening, Matt Groening, Matt Growing. Who knows? It's the guy. He's got the big circular glasses and the long hair. He looks great. I haven't seen a picture of him lately, but maybe he doesn't look great. But I'm sure he looks great. Like, he is set for life like the guy could just work all day but he doesn't need to good guy do we have any modern pictures of him yeah i guess he, he pretty much looks the same dude found a look or is this him on the strikes yeah okay i mean yeah he's looking pretty good he's 69 years old he's got a very distinctive style it's kind of cool you know i like him and like I said, a while back, we talked about like Seth MacFarlane. I've always liked Seth, his, his work ethic, the way he's helped so many people during the strikes, donating millions of millions of dollars. The dude's a legend. But Groening's kind of like in the same boat too. He's just not as like expressive or like out there as some of these other guys. Now, when I talk about Groening, I, I do be like, okay, what do I really have to say? Because I've pretty much done like entire videos about all of his works i've talked constantly in like my real life about the simpsons and futurama to like larger extents that i've probably talked about anything in the world you know like these are things i always talk about i talk about them constantly i'm, I'm always talking about the simpsons so i don't know how this video is gonna go is it just gonna be me like yeah this this guy's done nothing bad in his career and he's fine maybe he said some bad things i don't know wikipedia says he has nine children but he could probably afford to feed them all <laughs> so he's fine he's just one of those guys that he he hadn't made so early on where he's like yeah okay i'll be a cartoonist i'll work on this one show i'll make like a little silly cartoon for it oh people really like my silly cartoon they want to make that into a tv show okay boom the, the most successful show ever made. 
it's crazy. It's really crazy how his career just kind of existed for one thing. And then even he became tempted by the Netflix stuff eventually. It's very fascinating. I love him. You know, he he's more in line, in my opinion, with like Trey and Matt, where if like if we're looking at like this era of guys from like the 90s who had their cartoons made and they became like successful, like the last people to truly become like millionaires from doing the, like the primetime animation stuff. He is more like Trey and Matt, where it's like, we are going to make this one thing. We will still be actively involved in it, even if it's just like a producing credit. We're still out there supporting this on an active scale, you know? And then you don't have to worry about like like the dream project. I'm sure the dream project was Futurama. I'm sure of that, you know? I guess it is kind of interesting that we've never had like him want to attempt something larger with Life in Hell, which is like the comic strip that kind of like got him started in all of this. It's like the silly little thing with the rabbits that are bad and everything's bad around them. But that's still like, that's just like a fun thing you do for fun. That's just like your base model to get you where you're going to go. That's still like what he's done is impressive. You can't deny that. Even just as like a major producer, he, he is definitely a cartoonist. You can tell what his inspirations are, the things that he likes, what he tries to do. He's always been like a very specific creator where it's, it's, it's not like high stakes stuff all the time. It's very low stakes. It's very mundane. And it's just about like, we're living in a very specific location. We're dealing with very specific themes. We're dealing with very specific characters doing things in their specific world. And that's for all of his stuff. Sometimes it works better than others, but I'd be hesitant to say he's ever had like a miss, you know? And it's another conversation for another time, and I'm sure I'll have it off camera, on camera, no matter what. Some of this stuff isn't good, but it's not because of him. Like, he he made an empire for himself. He made himself very successful. And it's a lot of good stuff. So should we talk about some of it? Should we talk about, like, the things he's worked on? Should we? Do we need to? Of course we do. That's what we're here to do. He doesn't have as much going on as... Seth MacFarlane, who kind of, you know, made his way up to the top, did his spinoffs. He took, he cashed his checks, if you could say that. Not really the case for Graining. You know, he made Life in Hell, which was like his little comic strip. People liked it. It was kind of funny. Just locally sold, but it was like he's been doing it forever and it became like a well-known indie thing that people were like, this is kind of funny. This guy's kind of cool. Eventually, it led him to bigger roles bigger opportunities because he got to do a series of books with it he's able to like publish these on a larger scale which is kind of like the dream it's not something you get to do anymore like it's such like a 1900s thing where you just like make something and then people just like like it and then suddenly that's like your thing and you could do that which is just so much content and shit out there now that if you just be like I'm going to publish this little book on Webtoons. Maybe two people will read it. It's not going to get me anywhere. But if you were just like in the 70s and you just made like, here's some stupid rabbits who have a miserable world, publishing it for my friends, putting it in just like local places where you can just read it about town. Somebody's going to pick it up and be like, this is the guy. This is the guy. 
And that's that's how James L. Brooks got involved. And he's his own character that I have no doubt I'll talk about in some format. But he he found graining. It was like, I'm doing this show. You want to do some animated segments for it? They're just like little bumpers or skits or whatever. You know, there was some of the, some stuff that could have went with like life in hell, but it suddenly became about like this dysfunctional family known as the Simpsons, and thus history was made. So, I mean, I don't know if we need to talk about the Tracy Altman show. He he was kind of involved in it, just primarily for you know like the crew drawings he did, and the Tracy Altman show itself was an interesting idea. It's a shame it doesn't have, like, the same longevity of some of, like, the predecessors that came from it, but there was something there. I think Tracy Allman is kind of, like, underrated, just in terms of, like, the era that she was a part of. Like, she did a lot of cool stuff, and her show was kind of fun, but it just gets outshined by what The Simpsons was, because it was just, like, watching these specific characters with their dumb designs and their stupid hair and their big mouths and, like, do they look like the rabbits? Kind of. And then suddenly it was the most popular thing ever made. That takes us to The Simpsons. And what do we say about The Simpsons that hasn't already been said by everybody? This is, in my humble opinion, the greatest television program ever made. It's so well executed. I I'll say it. I think it's been well executed the entire 30 years. I, there's bad seasons, there's some seasons that aren't great, but to say that this show has ever been anything but sure of itself and confident in what it was doing, it, it always has. It knows what it's about. It knows the ideas it wants to play with. It knows the stories it wants to play with. It's just so hard to compare any modern story to that classic run. And to me, that classic run kind of goes to season 10. I, I think... From season like two to nine, you're looking at banger after banger after banger with like no misses. The first season, there's a couple things there. You're like, okay, we have some ideas. We're finding our footing. There's a couple of episodes where you're like, this is kind of strange. But if you've read Mike Weiss's book, Springfield Confidential, which I have read, he talks about like some of like the key, it, like the key moments or the key episodes where this is where it showed them like what the segments were going to be, like what the show should become. One of them, which is still one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons, one of my favorite episodes of television, is Moaning Lisa, where it's just like, we're finally focusing on the Lisa character, and we don't know what to do with her because she's not really like the comedic foil like Bart or Homer, or even Marge is the nagging wife at times. Lisa is just kind of like the smart child. We don't know what to do with her. So exploring her being this like unhappy, confused child develops her character. And that is kind of like where you see like the gears turn to figure out like who Lisa is supposed to be. She's suddenly not just in the shadow of Bart being like the the foil to him. She's allowed to be her own individual. And that's really cool. And then like later on, I think it's the second season, like where you have all like the guest stars for like the baseball players come on and they do like the Mr. Burns stuff. And that again, that's showing you like how like comedic we're willing to go. And the show just kind of picks up. I don't think they ever like solely like lose reality for, for some stuff, but it becomes solely about the joke. And that's always an important thing to see for a show like this. It should be about the joke. 
the thing about the earlier jokes is that it's like it's referential but it's just more like the weird way that people react to things and talk about things and that that's like this is something I talk about all the time when I talk about like how these animated properties kind of like can lose their momentum when you have the new crop of writers come in they would rather pay homage to the thing they grew up watching to creating their own thing solely so it becomes more references to things that they know or are currently happening or references to things that have happened in the show as to solely creating its own vibe and i think the simpsons is one of like the key examples of that where the more modern stuff it's like okay what's going on Trump stuff, Obama stuff, Elon stuff, we can talk about Amazon stuff, and then it's references like, okay, we'll bring back like the guy that was the bowling instructor for Marge, and you're not really creating anything new, you're just homaging things that are happening and things that have happened on The Simpsons, and that's fine. You know, this generation of writers, they want to put their stamp on something successful. That's not to say that there is like some things that bleed through there that still work. There are, of course, that is always going to happen. And I think one of the most important things that Groening did when it came to The Simpsons was the early merchandising stuff. Like he was like, yeah, I, I, I am a cartoonist. We're going to constantly be publishing Simpsons comic books, comic books, which is like, exactly what he wanted to do you could you could feel like he is a comic strip guy he is he's a cartoonist he likes the pen and paper that is where he wants to work the most that's where he wants to be the most that's where he feels the most comfortable so when you do that with the simpsons you got the trios of horror spinoffs and all of that which is also like a great concept and just like the genius of the early simpsons is is that everything doesn't matter and it's just like watching a family react to stuff and everyone gets their moment to shine every family member like has the episodes where they're happy they're sad they're angry they're upset they're all given the opportunity to this like do whatever they want and it's just so cool and the merchandise was so hot in the 90s and you had like this the spin-off comic books of course you had the video games a mainstay in my household is the simpsons game it is still a game i actively play multiple times over the the ps2 version <laughs> you have the arcade games the collectibles still collectibles going on to this day and of course you have uh do the bartman which i believe is the 1990 you know like the record they put out where it's like bart said do the bartman who did they get to direct that was it brad bird i think that was the thing right you know it's cool and and they have a freaking like amusement ride you know like they're in, they're in universal they're good they're really good and now with disney plus they like decided to do like shorts which is like yeah come on it's pretty cool too you know I do dig that. Ingraining, he just had a concept, and it, it's been running ever since, and he's still excited about it. That's pretty cool. He plays himself in the video game, which is really exciting. And The Simpsons is just never going to die. See, I always talk to people, too, and, and, and people in my life are like, they should just end The Simpsons. And the thing I always say is, why? What do you get from ending this show? What do you get? You, you, you lose about like the 3 million people that watch it every week. That is a consistent audience that watches the show still. That's 3 million people that Fox would lose, you know? And I, I'm, I'm almost certain that 
it's one of the most successful rewatches on Disney Plus for a bunch of people. Looking at it now, that's one of the only shows that keeps me invested in Disney Plus where I'm like, I don't really care about this new stuff. But if I have to pay like $15 a month to have all of the Simpsons minus the ones that they don't want to talk about. That's fine by me. I also have the DVD box sets so I can watch the ones that they don't want to show. And that's fine too. But this is a this is the best show ever made. And I always, you know, do when I've done this show for so long, I, I've always been like, do I do an episode where I'm just like, here are my 50 favorite episodes of The Simpsons. Here are my 25 favorite episodes of The Simpsons. It's so hard to do and to explain. I almost just want to do a Simpsons podcast. And and if I had a co-host, if I had somebody who was willing to go on that journey with me, I probably would do a Simpsons podcast because it's such a good show. But let's let's step away from the Simpsons for a bit and let's talk about that what definitely feels like cashing the check with what the Simpsons brought. And I, I don't know if that's the case or not. But, you know, you have a successful show that's kind of just like the mainstay thing. And you could tell from a lot of his earlier stuff and just everything going on of grading. He really just likes his classic stories. But what if they were in the future? And that's where you get Futurama. Now, I have talked to death about Futurama. And we're going to talk to death about Futurama again on this episode. So I don't know how much I really have to say. Except it feels more like the emotional lifting for everything Graining wanted to do, where The Simpsons found its audience, it was able to become its own thing. A lot of, like, the more esoteric or silly, dumb science fiction Philip K. Dick stories that you could just tell Graining liked. He was able to do them here. He was just able to try something different, have more specific character designs, work with some of his favorite collaborators, and just create something entirely different. And I have to appreciate it for that. You know, trying to do something specific works all the time. And then Futurama, it's like, yeah, we're in the future. Here's a, here's like a one-eyed lady with purple hair. Here's just like your everyday Joe. Here's the robot. And you can go on whatever mission you want. And it became that. And then it was just more of like the sci-fi parodies, the old school science fiction novel parodies. You could just go to any direction and you could still find a way to bring in like the modern guest stars if you wanted to, like your Lucy Lou's, like your cast of Star Trek. They knew what they were doing with that show. And, you know, there is a lot about Futurama that's very interesting. It's got a very complicated history moving from network to network, doing like the, the mini episodes that were straight to DVD films and all that stuff. And that could sometimes just get lost in the shuffle of everything. But there is something about like a dedicated audience always willing to come back to a show like this. It's, it's kind of the same thing as The Simpsons. What I was saying, if you cancel The Simpsons, you're losing like the three million people that watch it every week. Same thing with Futurama. There is a dedicated audience that does have you invested in enough to see what's going on now if you have disney plus you'll notice that the latest batch of episodes for futurama come as series 11 whatever you want to think of that you can it could be an earlier season number that they, they just made up their own thing it doesn't matter but the show came back and it's interesting we'll talk about it in a minute here but this was the one where you're like okay he got to do what he wanted to. Maybe the audience wasn't as big as The Simpsons, but how could it be when you're doing like your weird sci-fi comedy thing that's not always going to work? It is the closest we are going to see him get to doing his Orville. I can't imagine 
we would ever see a big show like live action from Graining, he seems content with what he has. And why wouldn't he be? Like that is everything he ever needs ever. He doesn't need to do anything else. But surprisingly, surprisingly, <laughs> he was persuaded or tempted or whatever. I don't know. He, he got uh, the Netflix deal back when that meant something. Back when that meant something. Netflix is a whole bag of worms I don't want to get into because what is that? It doesn't matter doesn't matter but everybody had a netflix deal for a minute all your favorite directors or creators they just got to make something on netflix and, and graining was no exception now disenchantment is a very complex show solely because it, it doesn't feel like there was like the love put behind it i do like the show and there is something to explore doing the futurama thing in medieval times you know but it, it doesn't have like the same like nuance or fun or energy put into that sometimes it does where you can be like oh yeah like this is just like a cartoonist dream where you can create so many weird characters and color things differently and have some different types of like side quests and side stories and here's a mermaid and here's like a giant and all that but it was a little more like like episodic where it's like okay now that like this leads into that leads into that leads into that and that's not really what you're coming to graining for. You're more just like the individual episode that's just a standalone doing its own thing. We don't come here for all of this, you know, gathering of ideas leading to one big story where the season ends on a cliffhanger. We have to come back later. I guess because it was in that specific era of Netflix where they had to drop everything at once. You can do the episodic stuff, but I don't think it helped the show. Well, it doesn't help the show either. It's just the Netflix of it all. Like, if this went straight to Fox, I could see it catching more wind. Or even now, if this went to Disney Plus and they did the thing they did to Futurama, I could see it garnering more attention. But it just becomes another piece of the fodder to the canon that is Netflix. And nobody gets to talk about it. And and your characters, you know, Beanie and Lucy, what's the other one, Alpho... There is there is fun stuff in both in all of those characters, where we, we do like them. Beanie definitely has kind of like a, a mix of like Bender and Leela and Alpha just works for like that specific joke and it, it's good stuff. Like there is great stuff in there and and the fact they got to five seasons or five parts, however you want to look at it. Like I I know the last season just came out. I haven't watched it yet. I don't know if I'm going to just because. It, I, you, you lost the plot a little bit and it feels like we're stalling you know but you, you did it and it's a shame you're never gonna like reach the numbers of like a simpsons or futurama like if this could go on longer and that's the problem too is we don't let things have 22 episodes anymore like the simpsons and family guy are like and bob's burgers are like the last things to do that the last things allowed to do that and that sucks too but maybe we should let them do it. Maybe we should let things try to reach those numbers again. Couldn't be too bad. Couldn't be too bad. But pretty much since he made The Simpsons, those are the only other projects he's really developed and worked on. What if The Simpsons, but it's like sci-fi? And what if The Simpsons, but it's fantasy? I can't be mad about that. Like, that is pretty good stuff. All of it's kind of fun. He did good, you know? 
I can go to Universal and ride the Simpsons ride. Like, I wouldn't work either, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's a, like, if that's what you're remembered for, like the most successful sitcom of all time, and then two passion projects where it's the same thing, but more in style of like your weird cartoonish aesthetics and, and pleasures, that's a good career to have. And you're, you're a, probably a multi-millionaire because of it. So I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with anything Graining has done. He has, he's won in life pretty much, you know? I don't know about nine kids winning, but that's, that's good. Like, dude's been working hard for a while. Can't be mad about that. Of course, my favorite is The Simpsons. And I still really like Futurama, and I do have mixed opinions on Disenchantment, but I gotta say, like, just starting off as just like an artist drawing something silly that suddenly picks up steam and garners you attention from Hollywood. That's the Eastman and Laird of it all. Like that's kind of like a little bit before them. And that's kind of cool. Like the, the era where you could do that, you know, sometimes you buy in like Todd McFarlane. Other times James L. Brooks just sees you and you're like, I got this thing. Do you want to like animate shit for it? And then boom, history's made. You never have to work again in your life, but you get persuaded by Netflix which is exactly how it goes. But hey, that's not all we're going to be talking about today. As much as I love Matt Groening, I have to talk about one of his projects, like the most recent of his projects. That is worth talking about because a new season of Futurama came out. So when we take a break, which we're going to do right now, we're going to come back and talk about that show. Well, it came back, folks. It finally happened. We've been talking about it forever, I guess. Futurama's back. Do you remember when they announced this and John DiMaggio was like, pay me more, I'm not coming back. And everyone's like, whoa, you're going to do this without John? And then he came back. And then we're all just like, yay, yay, more Futurama. Cool. I'm one of those guys that, I, I mean, I just did an entire section of this video to talk about, like, you don't need to cancel something, just let it go, and I was also like, if everything's sacred or nothing is, it doesn't matter, reboot everything. I said all of that in this video, <laughs> and now I'm here to tell you, and I didn't really need this show to come back, like, I wasn't you know, losing sleep over not having new Futurama. I don't know how many people were. The show ended as about as good as you'd want it to. You know, it had its conclusion. Its emotional arcs were done. But at the same time, it's episodic television, kind of. So you could always come back and just do-do things. And that's whatever. You know, like, we, we have our through-line narrative that does work, but... We do serialize shit sometimes, and that's very Futurama too. So if you want to come back, do it. We're hard up for content. You have a built-in audience for Futurama. So if you wanted to do more Futurama, might as well. So we had the new season. Ten episodes came out. It started this year during the strikes, so nobody could really promote it, which I don't think hurt this show I think it was able to successfully breathe without that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it didn't. Maybe this show is actually falling bad. I don't think it is, though. You know, it's Futurama. There's going to be enough people that watch it where it's going to 
get it get itself together but here we go it's the new season and it came out and i just wanted to talk about it for a bit i don't have too many thoughts on this season overall i was more impressed with it than i thought i'd be i walked away feeling yeah this this works more than what i expected the show to give me i thought it was going to be a little too on the nose with a lot of the stuff it did and sometimes it was. Like, overall, I don't think any of the episodes were terrible. The one I disliked the most, and I think was the most, like, you didn't have to do this. Nobody was clamoring for that, was the Rage Against the Vaccine episode, which was like, what if we did a COVID thing? No, we don't need that today. We didn't want that today. You didn't have to do that. And it was the, the, least, the least impressive episode. The one where I rolled my eyes the most, per se. And that was just, you didn't have to, even even the one where it was just doing like Mamazon, where it's like, let's make fun of Amazon. I found that to be less annoying than the COVID one. And that in itself is just, I get it, Amazon, we get it. It's a household name now, fuck off. And I know, I know about Amazon. You're not telling me anything new by mentioning Amazon. You're not having any new like idea brought up because of Amazon. Every single show that you've seen in this format has done the Amazon parody. After South Park, I don't think you need to do it. But you did. But you know what? We had the original voice cast back, and that made it kind of special. I will say that was kind of cool to see. The characters aged in real time. And we didn't really, like, play that into everything going on. I think, like, the first two episodes really dealt with that theme, where Fry and Leela kind of come back from their frozen timeline time has passed slightly in like the world 20 years has passed or is it 10 years what do they say it's 2020 it's 3023 right they say 10 or i don't care it doesn't matter but time has passed right and now they're in the present timeline whatever and fry just like i'm gonna binge all of television and that in itself fine concept kind of funny it worked well I did like the second one a little bit more where it's like, what if Amy and Kiff's children emerge from the swamp and they become grownups and they have to be parents now? A lot of Amy stuff this season, which I guess works. There, there was less like Hermes stuff. He never really had like his specific episode. But again, we have 10 episodes. We can't get to everything all the time at every single moment. So doing one with Amy and Kiff, I really liked that. Very strong idea. Worked really well. Probably... I don't know. Is it my favorite? It might be my favorite of everything we had going on here. You know, like the crypto one where we're mining Bitcoin. Again, funny concept in 2021 when this was greenlit, which is the same way as like the Dune parody with like Nibbler's litter box. It's funny and very Futurama. And that's like the other thing of this season too, where it doesn't feel like we're just doing like the best hits of Futurama. We're doing Futurama stuff and it feels kind of present day-ish. And that's kind of exciting. It's less annoying than some of, like, the more present-day stuff we see from, like, The Simpsons or Family Guy or South Park. We're like, yeah, the, the Dune parody, it would have been funny a couple years ago. Now it definitely feels like, yeah, the writers just caught up to what we're doing. I know what you did last X-Miss. Why did I stutter saying that? Uh, the one where, like, <laughs> Zoidberg and Bender kill Santa. That was funny. That was a good one. I enjoyed that. You did a lot of funny Zoidberg bits this season, and I appreciated that. And you, you know, the Mama's on one's fine. COVID one, whatever. 
Zap gets canceled is better than it has any right to be. Again, it's such like an obvious joke to make where Zap is just, you know, his his identity doesn't work today and you, you could you could have done that one worse, but you didn't, so I appreciate that. And then the prince and the product was kind of funny or it's like that's a common thing that we have seen Futurama do where it's like the separate stories this time instead of them being like what ifs like what if things happen differently or parroting like old movies or cartoons or animals it's what if they were different toys that's kind of fun and then the most recent one the finale like what if they were in like a simulation that also plays like a really fascinating finale which is kind of like the theme of Futurama if you think about it long enough what is the meaning of anything what are we really doing here what is our life if not to just bring joy and have fun and enjoy the small things and that's kind of like what the show's always been about so if that's the finale again, that's fine. I, I think we'll get another season eventually. I feel like they, they're going to do it again this time. Try more stuff. I don't know if they worked on anything else because there was the hiatus, but I don't know. I, I can wait another two years for another season like this. Like, I don't think it was annoying by any standards. There's a couple of modern things where I did not enjoy it. There's a couple of just animation flaws where it definitely feels like we didn't have like the large budget we used to have but to get us back into what this world was it reignites our passion for it and that's always a cool thing to see i do like the show i've always been a futurama fan i didn't need this to happen but the fact that it did i can walk away feeling something interesting was delivered and that's exciting not as egregious as some other modern cartoons but at the same time, you did the COVID episode and it wasn't that funny. But if, that, if, you, if you have one miss and the rest of them are hits, or not even hits, just like 7 out of 10s and above, I can't fault you for that. Like that's a pretty successful hit rate and it's kind of cool that you did that. Overall, I am impressed that the show managed to come back and be successful and interesting. It is cool that we're taking these opportunities. Now, if it gets canceled again, we're not going to do it, right? <laughs> like another 10 years from now? I can't imagine we'd come back to this again. But maybe we will. What do I know? I have no idea. Exciting stuff. But hey, the new season of Futurama, Hulu's original that you can stream on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to give a 7 out of 10. So thank you all for watching this episode of The Geek Wave. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And as always, I will catch you in the next one. Have fun. Stay safe. Good luck.